0: So, I think I said Luke 13, didn't I? Okay, but before we do Luke 13, we need to do Luke 9 and Luke 10. Now, there's a few things here that I want to point out to you. Uh, Gary's a little bit um, behind because he's, you know, this is the first time he can make it. So, um, uh, let me, can I just say a little bit of introduction for Gary and then uh, we'll get into this. So, um, so what we're doing is that we're following God's creation project from Genesis. So when He starts in Genesis one, He starts on a project that He aims to complete in the Book of Revelation. Okay which means all of the history between that and all of the history between the ending of uh, the writing of the New Testament in 1896 to where we are now, to the second coming of Christ and the beginning of the kingdom, the end of the kingdom, and new heavens and new earth, all of that is included in this uh, creation project, okay? So, we're in it. That's what the Bible wants us to see. They had to stop writing the Bible at some point, otherwise the thing would be you know, just too big to... And nobody would read it anyway. I mean, nobody reads it anyway, let's face it. Okay? But but um, it, they finished writing it at the end of the first century AD. And we must not think, though, that even though we have a completed canon, completed Word of God, that the movement of God that is described in the Bible is is not something that we are caught along in okay we are still caught along in that project that began in genesis one it's important that we understand that Uh, we also have a um, a purpose or a goal remember and the greek word for that is telos okay that things are running too, and then there is also an end, time, last days, okay, which is uh, eschatos, or eschaton, really is uh, kind of the the culmination, which again we're we're in the middle of. Um, These things run parallel throughout history, okay, so that it's not the blind forces of nature that, that are in control, it's God's um, teleological and eschatological purposes that are in control, his providence. And we are caught up in that. Um, We saw that the way that he communicates this are through his covenants. Now, of course he says other things, but his covenants take in the big ideas, the things that really move us on, the signposts that tell us what God is going to do in the future. Because the covenants, uh, particularly uh, the uh, Noahic Covenant that sets the stage, okay, the Abrahamic Covenant with its three prongs of uh, descendants, literal descendants for Abraham, of um, uh, the land, and then also through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, Uh, that last one becomes very important in the New Testament, okay, Uh, then the uh, priestly covenant and the Davidic covenant and all of these uh, covenants they describe big big things really big things but none of them have uh, the means of their own fulfillment within them because they're all made with lost people people that uh, need to be regenerated or need to have that reconciliation with God uh, at least that and uh, that is brought about by the New Covenant. And the New Covenant, as we've said from the last course, if you look at Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, verse 8, uh, you'll see the New Covenant is not just an abstract thing like the other covenants are. Okay? The, the other covenants are promises, they're, they're, they're pledges from God. The New Covenant is more than just a pledge. It's a person. The person is the pledge. Do you see? And that's Jesus. Okay? He is the New Covenant. And so, uh, when we study the New Covenant and got and Jesus' words of the New Covenant that we will do, probably not today, but next, next week or a week after... Um, We'll start to see how Jesus identifies himself with the New Covenant and the book of Hebrews definitely uh, brings that home to us. So the covenants can't be contravened and contradicted by teachings outside themselves, do you see? They can only be agreed with, which means that if you don't agree with what the covenants say, your theology is wrong. You're just wrong, I'm sorry. You know, go back to the drawing board and stop making up uh, theology and then coming to the Bible to find proof text for it. uh, uh, Instead, read what the Bible says and get your theology that way and join the dots once you know what the Bible's saying. Okay? Remember that our default method as human beings, even saved human beings, is independence from God. Okay? That's why we find it so hard to have faith. Because faith brings us into dependence on the Word. Do you see? We want to be independent. It's much easier, much, well, not easier, but it's certainly, we feel more comfortable determining our own path, okay? Using our reason outside of the reasoning of the Word of God. It was never meant to do that. We're all, all supposed to reason under the Word of God Eve was the first one who reasoned outside of the word of God and look where that got us. Um, so now we're coming into the New Testament and what we've seen so far is that this covenantal hope, this hope of kingdom, this hope of Israel, this hope of um, Abraham, Isaac and J- Jacob and all the promises that are made to, to Israel. Uh, don't miss a beat. You know, Zechariah, Mary, Simeon, Anne, or Anna, um, the uh, teachings of John the Baptist, the announcements of the kingdom, uh, Jesus' own teaching. They're all along the lines that are prescribed by the Old Testament. Okay? Nothing uh, different coming in here. We can just... If we know the the Old Testament storyline, we could just move along. And that's what we've done. Even the parables in Matthew 13 that we covered last week, when we looked at them in light of just reading the New Testament and forget about the church because the church wasn't there in Matthew 13. Okay? If you have a problem with the church being in the time of uh, Jesus' earthly life, when we get to what the church is, and when the church started, you'll see that was impossible. It's not possible for the church to be there unless the Holy Spirit comes. Do you see? And for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus had to go. So there had to be the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus for the church, which is a resurrection reality, to, to be in existence. Um, so that, that being the case then, we have come up to Matthew 13 and we're here in Luke 9 uh, and we're going to again pick up these threads of of uh, teaching we can't do everything obviously um, but we can do a lot one final thing that I'll say uh, on this just to to help in fact no, I won't I'll ask a question So, it says in the Gospels that Jesus was preaching the Gospel, okay? In Matthew 10, he sends the disciples out to preach the, the Gospel, to the lost house of Israel only, okay, but it says that they're preaching the, the good news, Evangelion is the Greek term for that. Um, so what were they preaching? Were they preaching the death, resurrection of Jesus? No. Okay, repentance, because the kingdom's coming. Okay? Most of Christianity in history has not been able to understand that. And it's because they've been reading the New Testament back into the Old Testament and reading Paul back into the Gospels. Um. But the Gospels, you, we've got to wait, okay? We've got to wait and let them speak with their own voice uh, and hear what they say. Um, it's very important. And The best way to remind ourselves of this is that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die and he told them in secret. He didn't go preaching it. He told them in secret, Mark's Gospel is the best place to go and see that. Three times you see it. Um, And they didn't even get it, did they? So this is hardly something that they're going to be preaching if they themselves didn't get it and they were told in secret. So whatever Gospel it was that they were preaching to the masses, it wasn't the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm afraid that's just the way it is. And if that messes with your theology, again, sorry, it's because your theology is deductive. Not you didn't get that from the from the Gospels. Do you see? You didn't get it from the Old Testament. You got it by by assuming that the gospel that we call the gospel that's the gospel that Jesus was preaching. But you have to prove it, don't you? We can't just assume it. You have to prove it, and you can't prove it. So, Luke 9. Just a a few things that we're going to gather up here, okay? This is after um, the feeding of the 5,000. It's kind of about the same time as uh, Matthew 16. Just before the transfiguration, just uh, look at verse... 24 through 26. But whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Again, please notice how radical his words are. You know, if I stood up in a pulpit and said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Paul Henry's sake, okay, will save it. You would all get up and leave, and probably, you know, call the van, the green van, you know, to, 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 yes, yeah, whatever the, yeah, to come and take me away. But you don't do that with Jesus, you see. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Good question. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, the Son of Man, and that's how he identifies himself, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. Now, I know the word own is supplied, okay, but the idea there is strongly in his personal glory. And in his Father's and of the holy angels. Now, we've already seen in Matthew 13 that he's spoken about himself coming in glory and spoken about the angels coming at the end of time, yes? Mm-hmm. And so, again, what territory are we on here as far as the expectation is concerned? We've still got that Old Testament prophetic expectation of the of the kingdom, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look quickly at... Uh, uh, Luke twenty four twenty six. I think I've got the right reference here. Luke twenty four twenty six. I just want to put this in your in your minds here. This is the road to Emmaus, and uh, verse twenty five, Jesus is reproving uh, the two men. And then verse 26 Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things one and to enter into his glory two. Okay? So in order to get to his glory and to come with his glory he has to suffer. And this is an understanding that I think I've, I've tried to show you and will show you more that Jesus has At the synagogue at Capernaum he reads from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2a but cuts it off before talking about the day of vengeance of our God. Okay, why? Because that's his second coming. He knew there would be a time gap but nobody reading the Old Testament would have known that. Why did he know there was going to be a time gap? Because he knew that the Jews would reject him. They knew that they would reject John the Baptist and they would reject him. OK. Um, but I tell you truly this is 927. I tell you truly, there are not some standing oh, sorry, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now how do they see the kingdom of God? That's really strange. Well, the next passage is about the um, transfiguration, isn't it? Now, just imagine this. You got to, we all know about the transfiguration, but, but pretend you don't know about it. Pretend you're one of the three lucky people that get up to the top of the mountain, wherever it is, and that all of a sudden this guy... Who's in this you know the normal garb of of a uh, you know just a carpenter I mean he's not dressed anything special uh, he just looks the same as everybody else obviously he's he is not like anybody else, but he looks like everybody else, and all of a sudden, what do you see from him, not upon him, from him exudes this incredible light brighter than the sun. So his face shines brighter than the sun. His clothes begin to shine and are completely transfigured. He himself is glorified. And then up pop Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament. <laughs> Talking to him. Um, Moses and Elijah, that's really impressive. In and of themselves, Moses is Impressive. Elijah is impressive. They get two of them together. But neither of those two guys is as impressive as the one in the middle. And they disappear after a cloud comes. uh, After Peter has made a fool of himself again. And a cloud comes and says, this is my son, hear him. Okay, never mind Moses and Elijah. Uh, We don't know what they talked about. There's a little bit about, you know, talked about his decease. Evidently, that that was something that they were chatting about there. But what the significance of Moses and Elijah. Well, think about that. Think about that. Um, So this is a really, they do see the they see his glory. The glory of the kingdom is, or starts with the glory of the king. There is no glory of the kingdom without the glory of the king. And as we've seen, he enters his glory after he suffered. Do you see that? So just keep that in mind. Uh, Hebrews picks up on that. All right, I've got to to kind of move on here. I'm sorry about this. Uh, Verse 44 of Luke 9. Let these words sink down into your ears for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Okay? Let these things sink down. You better listen. Use your ears for what they're for. Get it. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. But the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man, he doesn't get betrayed. He comes in his kingdom. He comes in his glory. He receives it from the ancient of days and he comes and sets up an everlasting kingdom. What do you mean? He's gonna let it sit, sink down in your ears that this is going to happen. They didn't get it. It was there in the Old Testament. But they didn't get it because there's so much emphasis on the glory. There's so much emphasis on the kingdom in the Old Testament that they passed over the suffering bit. Mm Do you see? Mm -hmm. Um, And then he says here at the end of chapter 9 No one having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now we all know that passage but what is he calling his disciples to and and the people that he's speaking to in this context? Radical discipleship, radical following of him. Just like John the Baptist demanded radical change. Chapter 10. So the 70 are now set forth. Let's see um, what he says to them. Luke 10. Verse. We'll just go from verse 8. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets, and say, for the the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, we'll go to this, but just notice 1720, uh, Jesus said, "The kingdom of God does not come with observation. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. We are going to get there. So, he's saying the kingdom of God is near you, but you can't see it. But it's kind of near you, do you see? Because Jesus is being preached. And Jesus has just revealed his glory. This is the message. Don't forget the message of the kingdom and then the revelation of who the king is. Okay, put those things together. That's why the kingdom came near. Alright? But it demands response. That's the thing. I'm not there yet. I'm coming back to it. I'm coming back to it. I said I'd come back to it. Alright. I'm I'm picking a few things out here. I will will start to uh, bring them together but it's because I have to be somewhat piecemeal in order to get through the material Uh, chapter 10 verse 25 I just want to point something out to you here behold a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life and he said to him what is written in the law what is your reading of it there's a good question how do you read the Bible because depending on how you read the Bible will depend on the answer that you get so he answered and said what does he do by the way does he spiritualize here he just simply quotes the verse doesn't he you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself we're putting two texts together there and he said to him you have answered rightly do this and you will live Do you get it? Do you get the point? Just by taking God at his word, you've got the right interpretation. Do you see that? God means what he says. So Jesus says, you've answered rightly. He might have said, as somebody did on, uh, when I, uh, in a little debate with me, he said, but that's not an interpretation. I said, okay, so if he'd have interpreted it, he would have got it wrong, wouldn't he? <laughs>
1: do you see how people
0: think? It's it's quite amazing, you see? <clears throat> so it's just the plain answer. It's the plain answer. Yeah. How do you read it? How do you read it? Well, this is how I read it. Well, you're right. Okay, very often that's, what we need to do. I do understand their figurative speech, I do understand their poetry and proverb and, you know, all kinds of different diatribe and stuff like that that are used as far as style is concerned, but as far really as understanding the Word of God is, it's just, God means what He says. He does. He means what He says. strongholds and preconditions what we do is that we, we uh, again, we, we don't realize that we're thinking independently of the Word of God. We're not listening to it. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're not listening to it. It's like a, dealing with a teenager. You know? Like, you know? You know? Okay, so just wash the lettuce. Okay? Just wash the lettuce. Okay? Alright? <laughs> okay? And you find them doing something else. Well, I thought you said. Why? Because they are. Assuming something instead of just listening to what you want them to do. That's what we do. Alright. Chapter 11. And again, this is a, the same lesson. Okay. Verse 27. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it without spiritualizing. Okay? That's that's me adding to the word of God there. But you can't keep the Word of God if you're going to spiritualize it because once you spiritualize it, it's not the Word of God anymore. You're just keeping your spiritualization of the Word of God. Do you see? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Somebody else might have a different spiritualization, so which one are you supposed to keep? Mm -hmm. That's why the book of Revelation has a blessing to those who read the the words of the prophecy of this book and keep the words. And so, what do people say? Have you read any commentaries on the book of Revelation that are not mm-hmm. kind of literal commentaries? They're all over the map. Mm-hmm. All over the map. Okay, so how, you, how do you know you've got a blessing? Which spiritualization should you keep? Uh, okay, moving on. We're getting there. I know I said chapter 13, but Uh, We're getting there. Right, chapter 13. And again, we can't do all of this, but uh, you'll notice that in chapter 13 we have a repetition of some of the the parables from Matthew 13. And I just want to bring out a few things here uh, for us. Chapter 22. Uh, No, sorry. Verse 22, chapter 13. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, enter, strive to enter through the narrow gate. So this is figure of speech. But it's all pretty straightforward, isn't it? For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. The kingdom of God has drawn near to you. The kingdom of God has drawn near to you. We ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. Do you see? But have they accepted the teaching? This is the... The key here, isn't it? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There's the Abrahamic covenant. And all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Why? Because in the Old Testament there's a doctrine of the remnant. Not all Israel, as Paul will say, is Israel. They're all Jews. And all Israel are Israelites. But not all Israelites compose spiritual Israel. And when I say spiritual Israel, I mean Israel. Okay? Saved Israel. The remnant. So this doctrine of the remnant is, is being taught here by Jesus. Uh, verse 34 and 35, Luke 13. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem... The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See your house. What's that? What's the house? Put yourself back in the, the temple. Yeah, that's... When you see that in the Gospels, that doesn't mean they're personal homes. It means the house of God, The, the temple. Your house is left to you desolate and assuredly I say to you you shall not see me until the time comes when you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But you see they will say that. He doesn't say that they won't say that. He says you won't see me until you say that. Yeah? Turn to Hosea really quick. Hosea 2 and then Hosea 5. So after Daniel. Now Hosea 2, he starts off pretty negative. Uh, Basically he calls Israel a harlot, just like Gomer was a harlot, you know. But then something happens in verse 14. Verse 13, it ends with, but me she forgot. They've forgotten God. Now look what happens in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I, God, will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there the Valley of Achor. You know what the Valley of Achor was about? Achan? What, what was Achan? Judges 7. The one that stole yeah, he's the one that, that stole stuff from.: Yes, he did. That's right. Yeah. And in trouble and you know, the word acor means trouble. Oh, okay. OK, well, good for you. Yeah. The valley of trouble as a door of hope. What's going on here? There she shall sing, as in the days of her youth. By the place of trouble, there's going to be a change that happens. Okay? Verse 16, In in that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. Ishi. You will call me my husband. No longer call me my master. There's a change in relationship there. 2.16 For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, the false gods, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth. I will make them lie down in safety. We've seen this. I'm just reminding you of it. How many covenants have we traversed here in a few verses? Okay, the vineyards and, the, and uh, the, the, com- the words of comfort. This deals with the land aspect of the Noahic Covenant. The animals, Noahic Covenant, because the Noahic Covenant is made with the whole earth, remember? Uh, the, Call me my husband, that's a right relationship with God. That includes salvation, that's new covenant, um, the uh, lying down in safety again this is kingdom new covenant blessings I will betroth you to me forever yes I will betroth you to me in righteousness, justice and so on and so forth ok all that stuff now look at chapter 5 at the end there again chapter 5 it's all negative until verse 15 I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offence. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. God is going to allure and bring out Israel. He's going to chase them, but there's going to be, it doesn't mean they're going to sit passively and do nothing. They're going to be afflicted. And, but they are eventually going to acknowledge their offence. And they're going to seek God in affliction, yes? And that then he will return. I will return again to my place, yes? Until. Well, back to Luke. Your house is left to you desolate and surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, It will take repentance It will take a change. It will actually take affliction for them to do that. Mm -hmm. And the one who comes in the name of the Lord is is Jesus, but they're not ready for him, do you see? Mm -hmm. God's going to have to do something to make them ready. So you have in the prophets all of this, you're a harlot, you're no good, you know, I'm going to divorce you, I'm going to... Rip up your vineyards, and I'm going to, you know, Ezekiel gets very uh, in their face about things, and Ezekiel 16 and so on, um, and it's it's kind of nasty stuff. But then you have this turnaround. Uh, I will allure you. I'm going to woo you back, and later on in Hosea, you will call out to me you see? It's that part, you will call out to me. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. Right? Until the day. So this is in line with those prophetic utterings of the 8th century prophet Hosea. (coughs) Alright, chapter 17. Zooming along here. Verse 20, now John is going to get his question answered. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, by the way, if you're a Pharisee and you ask when the kingdom of God's going to come, do you think you're asking when the church is going to come? No, of course they're not. They're asking for the Davidic kingdom, which they think they're going to be a part of. He answered them, said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but in light of what he's been preaching, I hope that you can see that it's near, it's actually really close, and yet they can't see it. Only three people really saw it in him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Just imagine... The amazing transformation that they saw, that is going to be repeated on earth. Mm. Spread from the king to the to the kingdom. So just seeing it in the king, do you see is enough. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. All right, what does this mean? Well, does this mean because we've all read Paul's epistles So, does this mean that the kingdom of God is in our hearts as the Holy Spirit is in our hearts because we've been born again? No, No, but they're not even thinking in those terms, okay? They wouldn't even think in those terms. In fact, the idea of within you is in your midst, okay? That's the idea here, okay? So, how can the kingdom of God be in your midst? Well, Jesus has said... In Luke 9, he says, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come. Did they see the kingdom of God? Well, they saw him transfigured. Mm -hmm. So, did they see it? Yes, they did. They certainly saw enough of it. So, the kingdom of God is within you. But the kingdom of God doesn't come with outward observation. But he's right there. They just can't see him for who he is. But he's right there. Uh but they didn't comprehend him, you see. They didn't get him. Uh look at chaps. So, so within within the, the yeah, right the midst there in their presence. It's in their not, presence. It's not physically within them, like Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, later on he's going to say, uh, well, in fact, he had already said to some of them, he said that uh, you're going to be thrown out of the kingdom. You're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob go into the kingdom and so on, but you're, you yourselves will be thrust out. So, yeah, the, it's certainly not within them, uh, now, as far as in their hearts. But look at this, 1944, Luke 1944. Uh, Look at 43 because that starts the sentence. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. He's talking about Jerusalem. And level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I just mentioned that, you see, because um, he's right there. He's in their midst. Mm -hmm. This is the this is the time they should receive him. Um, chapter twenty and uh, verses three through eight. And I hope I'm not making things too difficult for you. Okay. Uh, what was it? Nineteen forty-four. Yeah. And then this one was uh, twenty verses three and through eight. Was it? Okay, let's see. sometimes I get these, uh, I put the, right the wrong reference down, so I've got to be careful. But it says here, He answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? They reason among themselves, not a good thing to do, <laughs> independently of the word of God, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Because he's preaching the kingdom of God. But if we say from man, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered um, that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, why do I point that out? It's to show you they didn't get him. Jesus knew they didn't get him, so answering a million questions by these guys wouldn't get them an inch closer to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you, but it doesn't come without observation, so if you're waiting for God to come in some colossal action to stamp out the Roman armies and to set up this golden kingdom, you will be waiting a long time. Because the teaching of Jesus is that he is the Son of Man, but he has to, but he's going to be rejected. Do you see? I mean, the Old Testament tells them that, and these are supposed to be scribes and Pharisees. Are supposed to know the Old Testament. Chapter 17, again, verse 22. Then he said to the disciples so this is after dealing with the scribes and Pharisees the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. That's strange language. And they will say to you look here or look there do not go after them or follow them for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven so also will the Son of Man be in his day." That's more Daniel 7, isn't it? That's more Son of Man in Daniel 7, 12 and 13. That's what we're looking for. That's what the Pharisees were looking for. But it's gonna be so obvious that you, the Pharisees aren't gonna to need to ask a silly question like that. It's just gonna be bam, there it is. Do you see? So even in asking the questions, the Pharisee didn't really get it. Jesus is saying, when he comes, I mean, he comes and it's just done. Where do you see this in the Old Testament? Daniel 2. What happens in Daniel 2? Image, come on. Dream. Yeah, okay, so what happens to the statue? BAM! Doesn't it? It just smashes the thing. And then the kingdom is set up. Do you see? He's not teaching here anything that wasn't taught in the Old Testament. But he's, but the Pharisees didn't get that. He's saying, you don't need to follow these false teachers. It's going to be so clear. The stone cut out without hands is just going to smash the kingdoms of this world and set up his kingdom. You're going to see it. Not a, it's not going to be a problem. Um, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Aha! As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Well, in the days of Noah, that wasn't a particularly godly time. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Um, great kind of meditation on this uh, that we can't stop to do much on but this is the world the world gets on with its stuff we wonder when um, we wonder when God is going to act but but the world just gets on busy with its stuff ignoring God Okay, and it will continue to do that until God acts So let's not wait around for God to act, okay? And wait for the world to change. It isn't going to change. It's not going to change. Uh, Sooner or later God will act and that will be it. Look at, uh, let's continue here. Likewise as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. What's he talking about here? It's just the normal commerce of life. Mm -hmm. They just got on with life. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is... Look at your Bibles. Revealed. 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 Absolutely none. So, I hope that you can see here that Jesus' teaching is pretty plain, but he has to kind of uh, knock through these expectations. These expectations are not um, the expectations, false expectations that have been raised by the Old Testament. It's just that they have not uh, brought together the two strands of teaching about the Son of Man that are in the Old Testament. They haven't brought together the clear kingdom strands with the fact that that Messiah, Daniel 9, is going to get cut off, but not for himself. That he's going to be killed, but not for himself, Isaiah 53. Do you see? Because the emphasis of the Old Testament is not on the crucifixion of Christ. It's on the kingdom. So that's why they missed that stuff, and that's when he started talking to them about it. They kind of didn't get it because they, you know, they just couldn't reconcile those two things. It was very clear that Messiah would set up a kingdom, but the idea of uh, the Messiah being betrayed and dying and stuff, even though it said it in plain terms, you, I mean, you just didn't, there wasn't that uh, that idea at all in in Jewish thought so um, chapter 18 now we're quite a way through Luke's gospel now okay and you would think because Luke is writing to Gentiles and he is um, writing to Theophilus remember you would think that by the time we get to the close of Luke's gospel, that we're getting more gentile and we're getting more churchy. But let's see. <clears throat> All right. W- were you going to ask me a question? No. Okay, 18. Verse 15. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Uh, They rebuked them, sorry, not him. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now look what he says. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Hold on a minute. So you have to receive it before you can enter it. But isn't that what has been taught here? They've been preaching it. The kingdom of God has come near them but you've got to receive it and if you don't receive it you won't enter it. Is that bug on me? Is it? Is it gone? All right. Um, do you see that? Because we're focused on the kids. But do you see what he's just said? You have to receive it before you can enter it. That's why he can't just come back and forgive Israel and set up the kingdom. That's why Israel has to go through this tribulation so that they will call on the name of the Lord. Do you see? They have to be prepared to receive it before they can enter it. They weren't prepared at the first coming. So receive it is receive it now. Enter it is enter it in the future." It's kind of interesting, I think. Verse uh, verse 30 says, "Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Great, He's going to bring in the kingdom. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon and they will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. Wait a minute. That's not all the things that are written in the prophets concerning him. What's he doing? What what he's doing here is that he's showing them and this is going to come out clearer in a minute. He's showing them that the first time he comes that's what he's going to fulfill everything that the prophets have said concerning a suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. That's what he means, and they will do these things. So, when he's going into Jerusalem, starts you know, moving towards Jerusalem <clears throat> and you have Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus cries out verse 38 uh, Jesus son of David have mercy on me Davidic covenant okay understands he's the king he understands he's the king he understands he's been preaching the kingdom and it's the, he's, the, he's the actual king so Jesus heals him. The healing miracles of Jesus are signs, if you will not be leave my words, remember from John's Gospel, believe the works, because they testify of me, that my Father has sent me. But the works testify of the fact that Jesus has the power in his fingertips, in fact in his just his thought, to heal diseases To dry up blood. To raise people from the dead. To do all of these. To to still the wind and the waves. And to tell demoniacs to clear off. Or demons to come out of demoniacs. Okay. To heal the blind. Never done in the Old Testament. Nobody heals the blind in the Old Testament. Do you see that. Just as the power of who Jesus was came out for just a while when he was transfigured. Every time he performed a miracle, he revealed some of that reality. Do you see? He revealed some of the kingdom from him. Because things like that don't happen unless you, you know, you're a crazy charismatic and you believe that these tent meetings actually people do uh, get healed in these things. I mean maybe occasionally God might heal somebody in them but generally that doesn't happen, okay? But Jesus, 100% and he didn't have to put up a tent to do it. He just healed because it came from him and when those people were healed or when the people were raised from the dead, That's part of the kingdom of God. Just a foretaste of it. A foretaste of the reversal that will uh, transform this whole planet when he is revealed. I've got to move on, I'm sorry. Um, Oh, verse, uh, I can't miss this. Verses 28 through 30. Let's look at this, 28 through 30. Uh, verse uh, chapter 18 still then Peter said see we have left all and followed you so he said to them assuredly I say to you there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God still on that who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life Ah, so he's splitting the present time from an age to come. Do you see that? Just as he did in the synagogue in Capernaum. It says these things are accomplished in your hearing. But he didn't finish the passage from Isaiah sixty one two, which said the day of vengeance, because that was in the future. Do you see? So he's in complete control here of what happened. Uh, chapter 20, verses 34 and 35. Look at those quickly. Um, I'm not interested so much in the question which is about the, in the resurrection. Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of what? this age marry and are given in marriage but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection of the dead from the dead neither marry or are given in marriage this age that age there's a dichotomy of time here some people want to bring that age into this age and then they have to spiritualize the kingdom, because obviously the wolf 's not lying down with the lamb, okay, yeah, and the temple's not rebuilt in Jerusalem, and there 's not streams in the desert and all that sort of stuff it 's not happening, so they have to spiritualize it and say so it 's a human heart i don 't know about your heart, but I certainly am familiar enough with my heart to know that 's not happening in my heart either, not very much. So. Okay. So um, now what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at chapter 19 of Luke. And we're going to kind of kind of slow it down a little bit here, which I hope you'll be pleased to hear. And we'll stick in chapter 19 a little bit. But I hope that you at least grasp the fact that Luke is a great place to go for, to see continuity from the Old Testament. The expectations are still there. Now, I know that there are some answer questions, but remember that the Old Testament does prophesy blessing for the Gentiles. So, when you see blessing for the Gentiles in the Gospels, so what? It's in the Old Testament. And if you look at... Uh, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, you will see that the blessing for the Gentiles is wrapped up in the New Covenant who is Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, so chapter 19 and the first bit's about Zacchaeus. So we can skip that and go to verse 11. Now as they heard these things he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear when? Immediately. Aha! Have you ever seen that before? They expected that the kingdom of God would appear straight away. Do you see? Mm-hmm. So what is this telling you? What is this setting you up for? What is Luke trying to tell you here? That it's not, exactly. It's not going to be set up uh, immediately. Now, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And Luke, Acts is one book. Two volumes but one book. And Acts records the spread of the gospel and of the growth of the church, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, Luke 19 is towards the very end of Jesus' life. The book of Acts picks up, you know, a month or two afterwards. And goes on through a few years, but um, the kingdom of God was not set up a couple of months after Luke 19 was spoken. That would have been kind of immediate, wouldn't it? So, and look, look at what he says in this parable. Look at what he's teaching. Um and see if you can pick this out. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom and for himself a kingdom and to return. That's really quickly said. But this guy is, uh, he's a nobleman. Notice that. Okay? So he owns land, property. But he's leaving that property in order to go far away because he's getting a kingdom for himself, but once he excuse me once he gets the kingdom what's he gonna do he's going to return mm-hmm. okay well'll stop there for a second and go to Daniel seven okay. verse thirteen. So, the Son of Man is pictured here going to God to get a kingdom. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Alright, so back to uh, 1912 in Luke. So, he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minus, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him. We can't go all the way through what this is about, but I'll just read it and sent a delegation after him, saying, what? We will not have this man to reign over us. Notice that. We will not have this man to reign over us. They've sent it after him. They want him to hear it. And so it was, that when he returned, having received the kingdom... He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him and he might, that he might know how much every man had gained by the trading. And you know what happens. And he gives him authority after, over certain cities. Do you think these are literal cities or spiritual cities? The way the church has often interpreted this, it's kind of spiritual stuff. But if this is the real kingdom that he's been preaching and talking about, the one that's been prophesied in the Old Testament, these are probably literal cities. Or at least it's literal real estate that he's talking about. Verse 20. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your miner, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you. Don't forget that, out of your own mouth I will judge you. People will condemned, be condemned by the words of their own mouth. You wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? that I may, uh, at my coming, may have collected interest with it. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten minors." But they say to him, Master, he has ten miners. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about a noble man who goes away to get a kingdom, but he's going to return. And he does return. But in the meantime, they don't want him to reign over them. They, don't want, they reject him. Is he talking about himself? Yes. Yes. So he goes to get the kingdom, and the kingdom doesn't want him to reign. Over. The people in the kingdom, as far as uh, the people, he hasn't received the kingdom, okay? He's going to receive the kingdom. But the people who are his people don't want him to reign over him there. Do you see? Right, verse 11 again, read it. they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So there's a gap between Jesus going to get the kingdom and returning, even though it's said in such quick uh, terminology. There's a gap between them. It's not, the return is not going to be immediately. And it's the return that we connect with the kingdom itself being revealed yeah Mm -hmm. so you you see that now they don't know how long that interval is going to be and neither do we it's been a long time but there's certainly here Jesus is or Luke is very clearly telling us that there is going to be a future return of Jesus And that's when we can expect the kingdom to be set up. What kingdom, though, I wonder? The kingdom that's being preached here. The kingdom of the Old Testament. The Davidic golden kingdom. The world being full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. That kingdom there. The covenant kingdom. Okay, we're in Luke 19 here and we have continuity between the two testaments. Do you see that? Uh, The reason that I'm driving this home is because we're going to get into Acts and we're going to get into Paul's epistles and you're going to want to wander off into church land. Okay, (laughs) and you're going to forget about this because Paul doesn't speak very much about this. He does refer to it but he doesn't speak much about it. That's because his concerns are not with that and there's a reason for that. But right now, here, Jesus is dealing with Israel. So let's, let's keep our head in the game. <clears throat> uh, verse, you, you know about the uh, triumphal entry and so on. And they say to him, verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And what would they cry out? Blessed is the king. What kind of a king is he? Now, this is where the full significance of Jesus can be missed because he isn't just the Jewish king. He is the person who, remember, started the whole thing off. He's the God of the whole world. He's the God of the stones. He created the stones. You know, in a sense, and I I always kind of feel that I, I... that I'm turning into a weirdo when I say things like this, but because from this side of the kingdom, it's weird. The only people who say things that I'm going to say now are hugging trees and wearing sacks and smoking pot, okay? But there's something true about some of the things that they say, Mm -hmm. that in a sense, there's some connection that we're missing between ourselves and the trees, the selves and the flowers, ourselves and the planet, and the rocks, you see. Uh, not that they're sentient beings, don't get me wrong, but just these things were created for us. But we walk past them, and sometimes, yeah, we, we uh, especially now with the computer, you know, we can have a nice uh, screensaver on there, of uh, a landscape or something like that. Okay, but we, you know, we're too busy to really have a look at it. We can like somebody's photograph on Facebook, uh, but we don't really stare and, and, and look at it as God's creation in the way that we ought to. But, you see, we will. When, when the kingdom comes, the, the, the dullness that's on our minds and in our eyes, it will be gone and we'll see creation in its scintillating meaningfulness for us. Do you see? Yes. So, uh, what on earth? Oh yeah, because, because the stones will cry out because he is the king. He is the king. Um. And then he talks about the time of your visitation, verse 44. Okay, moving on. Uh, Look at um, chapter... Yeah, we'll go to, uh, well, chapter 20, we've done the, the, uh, that age, yeah, this age, that age in verses 34 and 35, yes, Um, and talked about the resurrection, the resurrection is obviously in the future in that age, but notice verse 37, please. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, clearly, in what Jesus is doing, is he's saying these three guys are still alive. But for our purposes here, what covenant are we dealing with? remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob whenever you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob you're dealing with Israel it's the, the descendant and the land aspect of the Abrahamic covenant ok when you see this is why Paul can, in Galatians can talk about us being children of Abraham but he cannot call us children of, children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and he never does Then you've got this, um, verse 39. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, but after that they dared not question him anymore. And he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, he's quoting Psalm 110, that great messianic psalm. Everybody understood this to be a messianic psalm in the first century AD. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till, till. I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Clear implication is, and this is how you are to use your reason, that Jesus, if he is the son of David, is greater than David. And his (laughs) kingdom is going to be greater than David. So are you an enemy of him? Or a friend? Well, they're going to reject him. (laughs) So until, sit at my right hand. In order for Jesus to sit at the right hand and he is pictured as sitting in the right hand. Remember the stoning of Stephen. Uh, he's pictured there. In order for him to go there, okay, it's there, there has to be, first of all, a rejection of him, an ascension of him to heaven but then there's this until. Until I make your enemies a footstool. And then he comes back again. And it's that until that we're waiting for. Uh, Verse 9, or verse 8 of chapter 21. How are we doing for time? Oh, we're doing great for time here. Good. Time for a snort. (laughs) What's (laughs) in there? (laughs) Tea. (laughs) Tea. (laughs) <laughs> T only tea <clears throat> and he said take heed that you are not deceived for many will come in my name saying I am he notice he is uh, italicized because it's not in the Greek text it's I am the ego aiemi which is that idea of deity and they'll say this the time has drawn near Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come. What's the next word? Immediately. Immediately. What's the end here? Now, that's the thing. Because next week we're going to be looking at this when we look at Matthew 24. And what is that? <coughs> Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and there will be fearful signs and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you into synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Uh, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. And he continues, and that you'll be... Um, Told what you can say and so on, but it does say here that uh, you'll be hated for my name's sake. Now this is this is a, a way of speaking, which is called proleptic, and you don't have to remember this word. But you see this in Matthew chapter 10. Okay, in Matthew chapter 10, you have similar wording to this, and it says you're going to be uh, persecuted in synagogues and you're going to be killed and you're going to, and, it, and it's it, goes beyond the time of the disciples. Okay? And it says, you will not have gone over the whole land of Israel before the Son of Man comes again. Remember that passage in Matthew 10. Um, And you think, well, Israel's not very big. I mean, you know, I could do it in a couple of weeks, probably. So, you better hurry up and this persecution is going to be pretty short because Israel's so small. And it's about, what, 35 miles wide? Something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, he's talking here past the time of the disciples to all disciples and particularly to the Israelites because in Matthew 10, do not go to any but the lost house of the the people of Israel. Yes? So, Israel's the focus there. Uh, so he's talking to Jews or Israelites, but pushing beyond the time of the first century and into the last time. And in that last time, there's going to be persecution. And in that last time, they will not have gone uh, out preaching the gospel of the kingdom, of the kingdom, which is the king is coming, okay, before the king actually comes. Yeah? Um, so here, again, it's, it's, uh, these things must come to pass. It's not going to come immediately, but now he's going to thrust it uh, into uh, the end time. And notice what he does here in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation of, is near. And everybody and their dog says This is Titus Armies, AD 70. But that's not what would have occurred to the disciples. Jerusalem surrounded by armies would have reminded them of the book of Zechariah. Okay? And we'll go there in a minute. Know that its desolation is near. Look at the context, folks. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. The days of vengeance. He stopped short of that phrase in the synagogue. Now he's saying the days of vengeance will happen. What's he talking about? AD 70? No. no. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about that day of vengeance. We'll look at it in a second. Which are written may be fulfilled. Well, I'm sorry. The, thing that the things that are written in the Old Testament are about what we call the second coming of Christ, not about the first coming of Titus. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. Um, Remind me and we'll try and come back to that. Okay? Actually, we got... I'm really happy with uh, the the time here on the clock. (laughs) Yeah, good one. Uh, Trampled by Gentiles. Okay, somebody remember Daniel 7 for me. Okay? Okay. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled... Uh, don't go to Daniel 7 yet because verse 25 has a word and, chi. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Yeah, never mind about that. We're not in the book of Revelation. Okay. Just stick to where we are here, because he's when he comes in his glory. Remember, and he's talked about. Don't you know? If somebody says he's coming, you don't need to go out and look because you'll see it. He's just going to come as the lightning flashes from the east. This is what he's talking about here. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. What things? Roman armies. No, Israel's redemption didn't happen in AD seventy. Their desolation happened in AD seventy, and especially in AD uh, one, what, what was it? Barcut uh, one twenty three, one twenty two, one twenty three. So, just stick to the Old Testament. Stick to where we're at in the story. Pretend you don't know what happens afterwards, because that might mess you up. Just allow it to play out. And, and if, you, if you were cut off here and there was no more Bible after that, you wouldn't have anything. Do you see? You wouldn't be saying the, what you just said there. Okay? What you'd be doing is you, what these guys did. You'd be looking the Old Testament. And this is what you'd find. Okay, so, Zechariah. Chapter fourteen is one of them. Right, Chapter fourteen. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil shall be divided in your midst, for I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the house is rifled, the women's ravished. Say, so, you know, pray you're not pregnant. Okay? Half of the city shall go into captivity, for the remnant of the people shall not be cut off. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. Well, when? When his feet, verse 4, stand on the Mount of Olives. Second coming. Do you see? So what's he talking about in Luke? Is he talking about AD 70? I don't think so. Every commentary under the sun will tell you that he is. But that's because they're written by people who, let's be quite honest, don't believe what the Old Testament says. Many of them are millennial. They believe God is through with Israel as a nation. Israel, in order to get saved, has got to join the church. And uh, Jesus comes back, blows the whole uh, shooting match up, and we all go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches, folks. That's certainly not what the Old Testament teaches. And it's not what we've read in Luke. And it's not what you read in Matthew. Uh, Daniel seven, and we were just there, but we're going to go a bit further, okay? Daniel seven, because you have the explanation of the of the vision. <coughs> uh, are, are those are, are you familiar enough with Daniel seven to know the context here? He sees the beast coming out. He sees the horns on the last beast. Uh, Three of the horns are displaced by a little horn who becomes pompous and starts speaking blasphemies against God. Mm -hmm. And he he wants to know, well, what about this little horn? He's bothered by the little horn, so what's that about? Uh, So, verse 24... The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. That's a little horn. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. That's not the church. Okay, In Daniel, that's Israel. And shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the dominion and the, dom, sorry, then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, his, that's the Son of Man earlier in the chapter, kingdom is an everlasting t- kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. So what's happening here is that in this um, context, this personage, depicted by the horn, who's speak- speaking blasphemies against God, is going to turn against Daniel's people. Okay, the saints of the Most High, and he's going to—they're going to be given into his hands for three and a half years. Time times half a time. We'll, we'll come to that. We—I'm <laughs> I'm mentioning that because we did it in the last course. Um, but they'll be given into his hand for that amount of time. Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by armies and it says that the armies are going to take it, or at least half the city, they're going to be killed. So back to Luke 21 now, when it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, leg it, he's not talking about, he's not prophesying Titus he is talking about something worse than that. After which will be the second coming of Christ just as it is in Daniel 7 and just as it is in Zechariah 14. This is not, I mean I know there's a lot of text to jumble up and down here. I understand that. and Your head's probably hurting a little bit. But It's not really that difficult because we haven't really, we haven't changed anything. We haven't spiritualized anything. We just put stuff together. And we've just allowed Jesus to say what he's saying in his own context. You say, well, what about Paul? Paul's not even saved yet. (laughs) Never mind about Paul right now. We're going to get to Paul. We have plenty of time in Paul. But we're not there yet. Look up because your redemption draws nigh. The redemption, that's new covenant. That's what Israel needs. They need to be redeemed. In the Old Testament, if you look up the word redemption in the concordance when it deals with Israel, that's new covenant kingdom language. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, if you want some references on that. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are ready budding, you see and know yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, that's what they've been preaching, the kingdom of God's near. Well, it was near because Jesus was there. And yet they rejected him, so he went away and got a kingdom for himself. He's going to return, and then the kingdom's going to be near again, which is why they're going to be preaching the kingdom of God. And when they're k- preaching the kingdom of God, they will not have gone over the whole uh, of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Do you want to go to that passage? I'm just, I'm just referencing it. It's in Matthew 10. Can I just tell you it's in Matthew 10 or do you want to see it? Yeah, come on, then let's see it. Matthew 10. So, Matthew 10, verse 5. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, there's the instruction. There's your context. Heal the sick. Do all this stuff. Um, Verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Oh, there's the end again. But what is the end? You see, that's something we've got to ask ourselves, isn't it? What is the end? Is it he who makes his way through all this trouble? Um, But... When they persecute you in this city flee to another for assuredly I say to you you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's Daniel 7. But he's pushed past the immediate time of the disciples and now he's going up to second coming tribulation if you like territory. He's going into Old Testament prophecy and talking about his second coming and the preaching of the kingdom then. Because, folks, um, I may be wrong, I might be wrong on this, but I'm a pre-tribulationist. I believe that the church will be taken out before the tribulation, the future tribulation. And we'll get into that when we look at Paul. Uh, There are theological reasons for that, which are, based on what we've already learned in the Old Testament um, and the nature and character of the church. But if that's true and the church is taken out before the tribulation because it's completed, um, then you have this time of of tribulation, this time, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, which we looked at last week, when... um, the prince who shall come. Did we look at it last week? Mm -hmm. Well, we did in the Revelation study in Willis. Okay. (laughs) Um, But the prince of the the people who shall come, he makes a covenant for one week, which is uh, seven years, and he breaks it in the middle, uh, which is three and a half years in. So... um, Jesus is talking about that period. That's when that little horn uh, rises up for time, time and half a time, three and a half years and he persecutes the saints of the Most High. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll look at it in Matthew 24 next week. So, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near again. Which means this, folks. It means that when Jesus was here, the kingdom of God was near and was offered but he was rejected and he went away to a far country to receive a kingdom. Just in case you think the kingdom of God should appear immediately, that's, that's for you, okay? But he's going to return. Before he returns, there'll be this time of tribulation, this time of, of trouble. Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah 30. Um, this time of of real colossal trouble for Israel. And at the end of that, they will be ready to call out to God. Okay? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because Jesus will be preached as coming soon. The kingdom will be offered in that time. He's coming. He's coming. Okay? And the people that believe that will be waiting patiently and enduring. Many of them will be killed, but it doesn't matter because they'll be enduring to the end, maybe the end of their lives, but they'll be enduring. And they will, uh, he will come back and set up the kingdom. All of this, I know that, I just wish that, that we could go slow and, and so on to, to, to go through this, but what you need to do is take the information I'm giving you, read the whole book of Luke, read the, the, all the books that I've, we've gone through, we've blasted through in the last two courses, and you're going to see this. Okay? You're going to see that this covenant uh, expectation, this purpose and goal stuff, it's, it's all on one track. It doesn't switch tracks in the New Testament. And that's what I've tried to show you here. That the expectation is exactly the same. Jesus does not dampen their expectation. In fact, I will go further with you, because I'm the nice guy, and go to Acts chapter 1. And this is the resurrected Jesus, so I'm doing something I don't normally like to do, and jump ahead. But because it's the same author... And we'll be spending a bit of time on this uh, in a few weeks. Let's look at the first uh, seven verses. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, all that Jesus began both to do and teach. That's the Gospel of Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking to speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The resurrected Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit and fire because the fire is hell. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time? Finally, come on now, you've been, you, you've died. Surely that's it. Yeah, you're in that kingdom, you're back. yeah, 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 let's do it. Let's do this thing but you see, just in case they thought the kingdom would appear immediately, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They've still got the Old Testament expectation. And he said, it is not for you to know times or season. He doesn't squash their expectation. He just says, I'm not telling you. Do you see that? They're asking for the time and the season. He says, it's not for you to know the time of the season because the kingdom's not going to appear immediately. He's told them enough. But the expectation is right. And remember, I've put up here several times the word expectation because God creates expectation by, he, by what he says, by what he promises. If, if he's created a false expectation then he can't be trusted, folks. If he's created a false expectation, that means he himself is disingenuous and ambiguous in his communication. That means you can't have faith in him because you don't know what to have faith in. So let's throw that God out and have the God of the Bible actually does mean what he says and then you can have faith in him. But only if you'll actually believe the expectation that he brings about through his word, through the covenants. They were right to ask this question. He didn't reprove them for that. He just says it's not for you to know the time. And Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, has been what? Showing us this very thing this very thing the kingdom of God the kingdom of God the kingdom of God all the cotton picking time thought I'd throw that little Americanism in for you (laughs) so uh, back to Luke again Luke 22. Now I'm going a half past eight here, just in case you want to know, because I've, I have to, I have to cram this stuff in. We've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of material to get in. So that's, you know, if, if you're tired, just put up with me for another <laughs> half an <noon>. hour. <laughs> All right. Chapter 22. Go and prepare the Passover, verse 8. You know about this stuff, yes? Verse 15. With fervent <sighs> desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What do you mean suffer, Jesus? What do you mean? He told him again and again he was going to suffer. This, this marks this as a very poignant occasion. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So we better have the right kingdom of God sorted out here because some people think the kingdom of God's going on right now. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. But Luke has already told us the kingdom of God doesn't come immediately. he has to, he comes having received the kingdom and he comes and he reigns doesn't he and he kills his enemies so that means the vine is actually not spiritualized here he will return and he will drink from the vine again on earth And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This is the the first part. This is a suffering servant. thing they missed. Do this in remembrance of me. So remembrance means looking back, obviously. Which means there's time to remember. Which means there's time between the first action and the second. So we are in that time. Where we're remembering. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, "This is the what? The new, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you." Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Did you ever really see that before? Good. This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Yeah, but the people, the you here are a bunch of disciples. Jews. They're Jews. But we're going to find out when we go to Paul's epistle that Paul in Ephesians is going to call them the foundation of the church as well. And you need to remember that. Here you're going to have people who are Jews, Israelites, who are the foundation of the church, but look what Jesus is going to say to them in a minute. And this is where, if you grasp this, it's going to really help you in, when you get to the doctrine of the church. Um, behold the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table truly the son of man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed and it continues and then verse um, 28 you are those who have continued with me in my trials but I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me okay now, does this mean that he's actually received the kingdom? No. But he's a king. There is a kingdom waiting for him. Okay, it's like somebody who's an heir of a, an estate. My father has bestowed an estate on me. I haven't got it yet, but I've got. Uh, yeah, he's bestowed one on me. That's what he's saying. Uh, that you may eat and drink at my table, that's the kingly, courtly table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, if the kingdom... what We're at Luke 22 here. I mean, he's going to die in the next chapter. Okay? So... We're right at the end of Jesus' ministry here. We're in the last few days of his ministry. Book of Acts is just around the corner. Um, That means that the twelve tribes do not suddenly become unimportant when the Holy Spirit descends and the church starts in Acts chapter 2. Because he's promised here that my kingdom which in this book is his earthly glorious kingdom future it's Davidic it's in line with the Old Testament expectations it's in line with the prophecies of the one who comes in power which is where we're going to finish up in a minute to establish his kingdom. That means that the kingdom is earthly, not heavenly. Earthly. And it means also that the 12 tribes of Israel cannot disappear. But there's a paradox here, isn't there? Because, I mean, I've, done, I've been naughty because I've done what I've told you not to do. I've gone to Ephesians and grabbed a verse from Ephesians 2 verse 20 and brought it into Luke 22 to tell you that these are the, um, the, the foundations of the church. Okay? But how can they be uh, the foundation of the church and yet God's not through with the twelve tribes? Does, well here's, here's me speaking independently of the word of God uh, just you know doing what human beings do best and that's um, thinking independently of what God says that must mean that the church is now the 12 tribes and we merge the two together you see and that's how we settle that or we can stop doing that, or and we can actually remind ourselves of what the Old Testament said again and again and again. It says, Israel will be blessed, and the Gentiles will come after, and the nations will be blessed through Israel. So Israel will be its own kingdom, and then the Gentiles will be saved also through their witness, and and uh, they will be a separate kingdoms. Yes. That's as far as we can go with using the Old Testament so far. But that would uh, be in touch with the Ar- Abrahamic covenant and it would also line up with the other covenants and it would line up with the new covenant which is for Jews and Gentiles. All right? Salvation offered to all. And so, um, what we have here is the new covenant being launched through Jesus and a promise to the 12 tribes and also this, what we know is going to be a future for the apostles. I'm going to build on that and augment that later in the course. But if, that, if you just want to um, intrude the church, you know, push it in like a big blown up dummy through the door <laughs> to say, well, what about this? Okay? Then just stop a minute. Okay, just wait, wait until we 're there, and you what well, if you just will wait, you will see the reason that Paul is not kind of bothered too much about the appearance of the church and he kind of rolls it all in and he quotes the Old Testament and so on is because it fits, but it does not fit by just being a great big sponge, just wiping Israel up and everything else up into itself. The covenants cannot be contravened. They cannot be reinterpreted. They have to mean what they say. And if your theology does that, you've got the wrong theology. I'm going to show that you know, as we go on. Final thing then, before we close, I did say... Jesus uh, spoke here in chapter twenty one, verse twenty two, of the days of vengeance. The days of vengeance. And he's talking here about his second coming, not AD seventy. Okay. Let's look at Isaiah sixty one. This is what he read out in uh, Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closes the book there and says all that's been fulfilled. Why does he do that? Because the next passage is and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, and so on and so forth. Um, I've shown you this motif before of of, uh, judgment and blessing, sandwiched together. Uh, Chapter 63. The day of vengeance is his second coming. What you see in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, are the first and second comings sandwiched together. Just as you see them in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Just as, you know, uh, unto us a son is born, a child is born, a son is given. That's the first coming. Government will be upon his shoulder, second coming. Um, notice uh, no no I can't do that chapter 63 who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra we've uh, commented on this before this one who is glorious in his apparel traveling in the greatness of his strength I who speak in righteousness mighty to save why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and troubled them in my fury. Hold on a minute, I spo- you're supposed to come in righteousness. Mighty to save. Yes, but there's no contradiction because he has to come and destroy his enemies in order to save and set up a kingdom of righteousness, just as in Luke 19. Uh, Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. Just like in chapter 61. So the day of vengeance is the second coming of Christ. The comfort is what happens when the kingdom is set up when he will allure Israel to him. Remember Hosea 2? That seems like a long time ago now. But uh, he's alluring Israel to him. And he's going to bless them with vineyards and he's going to marry them. You will call me your husband. Okay? It all, it's all there. But you've got to hang on to these things and don't cast them off because you've got a, the idea of the church that's just blowing everything out of proportion um all right that's all I want to do tonight uh, any questions what you find is um, if you look first of all in the in the uh, Abrahamic covenant you have all the nations will be blessed through you but then you have the promises to the descendants which are through Isaac we find out later and Jacob and uh, the land and if you look in uh, chapter 15 of Genesis when the covenant is actually made it is two things the descendants and the land that are in view. Chapter twenty-two, when he's going up Mount Moriah and offering his own son, um, then it comes back through you. The nations of the world will be blessed. That part is brought back in again. There. Um, then what we do, what we see, is in chapter forty-nine of uh, Genesis, Jacob blessing Judah, and we see uh, that Judah is pronounced there. The scepter will not be depart from Judah until he who comes who, to whom it belongs. Okay, that's the, mes- the Messiah coming to the kingdom and we know that it's through Judah. In Numbers 24 Balaam speaks of a prophecy I see him but not now. I see a star. I see a star and his scepter. Do you see? And it I'm pretty sure it says the Gentiles will uh, trust in him. So, I've got this thing here. I've got it right um no i got that wrong but it says that that israel will be blessed through through him this one who comes when we get into uh i'm skipping a bit now when we get to isaiah let's have a look at a couple of prophecies from isaiah where this is brought out and again i'll just take you to isaiah 42 because i'm trying to save time here Verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, the spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Do you see that? Chapter 49. Um, verse 4 then he said I have labored in vain I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God and now the Lord says who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So because you've got these promises to Israel Enshrined in the two aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, but you've got this third part of the Abrahamic covenant that promises to the nations. Obviously, you have to have nations who are actually nations on earth. You see that they're kingdoms on earth. In Zechariah, you're going to have people grabbing the hem, the, the the hem of an Israelite going up to um, to Israel to to worship God, and in Zechariah 14. God's going to be there, present and people are going to come, have to come to Israel to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and the nations, Egypt particularly is, is mentioned that don't do that God will send a uh, uh, no rain on them a drought, thank you, that's the word so the kingdom is going to be there but this is this is after the second coming of Christ Zechariah 14.4 do 4. you see? Um, So, go through again, go through the notes of the last course where I brought all of that picture together. And then you will see that, that Israel and the nations is, on earth, is the picture that is being dealt with by Jesus in the Gospels. Church has been mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 16. Uh, upon this rock I will build my church. If you remind me next week to to start with that, we'll start with that. But it's I will build my church. Future, do you see? And uh, the word they use is e- uh, ecclesia there, just means a, a called out people. So even there, the, uh, to the hearers. He would have thought, I will build my called out people. And they would think Israel in that context, do you see? Which would be right in the first chapters of of, uh, the book of Acts. But that, that, when we get to Paul, we'll see the church is a mystery. And a mystery is something that's not revealed previously, that is revealed at a particular time. So, again, it all rolls together, but you've got to be... Um, patient and just let the thing roll out and stick to the time and the, the revelation that you have and don't grab another revelation from the future and bring it in as if they had that revelation they didn't alright thank you um, what's the date next Monday okay so there is one next Sunday next Monday sorry Um, let's see, what do I want you to read? I want you to read um, chapter 24 of Luke, chapter 24. I want you to read Matthew 24. Yeah. Yeah. That will be enough. And if you want to, because we'll be going into the book of Acts as well next week, so if you want to read Acts 1, and if you're really daring, read Acts 2, then do that, okay?